I always love starting a new series because right before I start a new series, one of the things I do is I begin the process of studying Scripture and all the Scripture tried to relate it to whatever I'm looking at. And then also I get to study a lot of other things as well. Um, one of the things I've been looking at this week, uh, reading things about online, it's a couple of books and some places, is famous last words of people. Things that people said right before they died. Because we have in a lot of places uh, some interesting last words that people have. Uh, one of the most tragic but uh, tragic but interesting last words were the words, true words, of a guy who his name was, his name was Richard Vassalet. He was uh, a, a tenor in the New York Metropolitan Opera. And a few years, uh, I don't know how many years ago, uh, when he died, he was actually in an opera production. And he was up on a ladder, and he was playing this part where he was, uh, was a clerk. And he was up on a ladder, and he sang the, uh, these words. He sang these words. Too bad you can only live so long. Now, in opera, I'm sure it was more dramatic than that. You know, it was like, oh, too bad. No, I'm not going to sing that, you know. But anyway, he sang that, those words. And literally, literally, this is the truth. Literally, when he sang those words, he was up on a 20-foot ladder. He had a heart attack, fell off the ladder, and died. Too bad you can only live so long. Wasn't that a tragic way to end? Uh, kind of amusing too, I thought, but uh, in a sick kind of way. But uh, there's so many things that people can say. You never know sometimes what your last words are going to be, do you? I mean, some people actually have put them on tombstones. I have a book. We'll be sharing some of these over the next couple of weeks. Some things that people uh, actually put on their tombstones. Uh, we're not doing that today, though, because there's some, there's some important last words that people have. You see, we pretty much die as we have lived i believe and and our statements will tend to sum up what our lives were all about for instance uh, let's have the next slide uh pt barnum remember him pt Bar- barnum and bailey uh circus big entrepreneur he said this this is his last words how there were, were the receipts today at madison square garden his whole life was about making money, about, you know, the bottom line. And his last words quoted in his deathbed were about how, how well did they do the, that day at, the, uh, at Madison Square Garden, at the circus there. These next one. Next, next slide. All my possessions for a moment of time. Elizabeth I, Queen of England, a person who had everything in life, but her last dying request is the thing we talked about last week, uh, the thing of time. Uh, if you just had a little bit more time. That's one of the things. Kind of sounds like some regrets there, doesn't it? Okay, next slide. I have tried so hard to do right. Those are the words of Grover Cleveland. Uh, I don't know about in history how he's known as a, as a president, but <laughs> so-so. But the thing about him, that was his last words. I've tried so hard to do the right thing. Uh, next, next slide. Uh, o. Henry, who was a writer, said this, Turn up the lights. I don't want to go home in the dark. Uh, you know, sounds like a little apprehension there. Sometimes we have apprehension when we die. Okay, next slide. Um, this was interesting. This is actually the words. They couldn't hit an elephant at this dis. And he didn't finish the words because of bullet hitting. And he died. True story. General John Sedgwick, Union commander, killed in the battle during the U.S. Civil War. They couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. I think that's what he was going to say. But uh, we never know for sure because he didn't finish the words. Uh, I thought that was <laughs> tragically funny. Um, uh, next one. Okay. H.G. Wells, a novelist, said this. Sometimes we just kind of don't want to put, a, you know, we don't want to deal with death. Go away. I'll be, I'm all right. Can you imagine that as your last words? Oh, well. But, you know, the good thing about it, so uh, faith changes some things. Let's like, go to the next slide. Um, D.L. Moody, the evangelist we talked about last week, is this. I see earth receded and heaven opening. God is calling me. 
We see some similar words to that uh, the first Christian martyr, uh, Stephen, who was stoned. And over in Acts, we see those, those words similar to that as well. About, God, about him seeing heaven opening up in a different way. We all have different ways, different last words. We many times don't know what our last words are going to be. But I ask you this morning, if you could just write down what your last words would be, what would they be? The last thing you could say, what would they be? If you could script what your last words were, what would they be? Well, what we're going to do over the next four weeks is that we're going to be looking at um, some serious last words. The last words that should be more famous than any last words said by anyone at any time in history. Because these are the words of our dying Savior, Jesus Christ, as he uttered them upon the cross. And one of the things that we know in in Scripture, and we have to kind of pull these together, is that he said seven phrases upon the cross that are recorded for us. Three of the phrases we find in Luke, three of them we find in John, and one is found in both Matthew and Mark. Now, we we have seven phrases in all, and we're going to cover four weeks, so we're not going to cover all seven phrases. But the four phrases we're going to talk about are hugely important. The other three are important. I thirst, uh, behold your father, your your mother, your your, uh, son, uh, as Jesus was talking to John and Mary. And then uh, the last phrase Jesus repeated was, Father, into their hands I commend my spirit. We're not going to talk about those. You can read those. But these other phrases we're going to look about each week along the way, ending up on Easter Sunday with probably one of the, just a very brief phrases of all time, but probably the most powerful phrases, it is finished, uh, is things that, that have such depth for us as we begin to look at them. And so I challenge you this week to begin to think about uh, that and go over to the Gospels, into Luke, to John. And then, like I said, one phrase is found uh, in both in Matthew and Mark. That's the phrase we're going to look at in a couple of weeks. Uh, actually, Chris is going to share that with you as well. And so we'll be looking at that. Today, if you have your Bible... And then you want to turn to the first phrase. It's found in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. The very first phrase that we believe that Jesus spoke upon the cross. Uh, it, it has incredible significance to us. But to understand this phrase, we have to understand the context of where it was said. And all these phrases and where they were said. For instance, uh, the context is this. Jesus was on the cross. We know that. And in verse 32 of chapter 23 of of Luke, uh, the Bible says that there were two other men, both criminals, who were also let out, uh, were also let out with Jesus to be executed upon this hill. And when they came to the place they called the skull, Golgotha, they were crucified along, Jesus was crucified along with these two criminals, one on his right, one on his left. Now, what had led up to that though, the Bible says clearly is this, that God early on had decided, at the very beginning of time, we decided that he was going to give us his son, Jesus, who was born of a virgin, who lived a sinless, perfect life among us. And, and as he lived that life among us, he lived with an unconditional kind of love. An unconditional kind of love where he loved those no matter what position in life you were, where, what you had done. And he completely fulfilled the will of God for his life. Could any of us say that? None of us can. None of us can complete, but Jesus is the one person in history who completely fulfilled the will of God for his, for his life. And he loved with that unconditional love. And even though, the Bible says, even though he did everything right, 
and living to fulfill the will of God, he was betrayed by his own, even his own, one of his own followers. And he was taken before a mock trial. And even though he had done nothing wrong, and even though the first person he went before Pilate acknowledged that he had done nothing wrong, because Pilate said, I find no fault in him, he was falsely accused, he was tried, he was condemned, and even though he was an innocent man, some terrible things were done to him. This week, one of the things I did in preparation for this is I went back and watched The Passion of the Christ. Remember that movie? I want to tell you, I thought about using some clips from that just to get your attention, but I'm going like, there's, it's almost too brutal. And, and, but, I, but, th- but I think it was real because it portrays the reality of how brutal what happened to Jesus Christ. This person who lived a sinless life, who lived a perfect life, did God's will perfectly, how mankind, what man can do to man. The Bible says that, uh, that God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, was tortured They took his clothes, they stripped them off, they beat him over and over again with a whip of metal balls and sharp rocks and glass, and that would rip his back open, just to give you some illustrations of what went on. Um, They took a crown of thorns in a mocking way, they placed it upon his brow, they drove it down over his head. So he 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 was beaten, bruised. In the Old Testament it says, it prophesies of him that you couldn't even recognize him as a man. That's how brutally they, they beat him. Then they took a scepter, uh, something the king would hold, and they gave it to him, or they, they, they gave it to him as a mockery, and then they beat him in it, with it uh, on the head. Then the Bible says they took Jesus, God's son, they blindfolded him, then they took the Roman soldiers who were known for wearing uh, great rings and different things, they hit him, and then they would, prophesy, they would say, prophesize, tell us who hit you. They just kept mocking him over and over again. They sped on him. They mocked him. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they forced him, as he was already almost unconscious, to carry the cross along a winding, circuitous route to the cross. And along the way, we know the story that he couldn't even carry it because he was so, he was so uh, 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 abused already. And they had to get somebody else to help him along the way. And there, when they got to that hill, it says that they laid it out upon the cross and they drove nails through his hands and through his feet. And they placed the cross on the ground. And during this whole time, the Bible never mentions that he utters a word during this whole process along the way. He never retaliated. He never spoke a word of evil against those torturing him. But once he was upon the cross, the Bible records that his lips began to move. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'd have been there, and during all this time I had witnessed that, I don't know how you could witness that and not do something, but if I'd have witnessed that and his lips started to move, this guy, I would probably have listened to try to hear what he had to say. I want to know what it is that this man's about to say. He was uttered no words through all this brutal beating. And the thing about it is, you know, is he going to curse those who are abusing him like the other two criminals had done? Is he going to pray to God for relief from the physical pain, which would have been normal, right? And Jesus did nothing like that. He did the unexpected in a real sense. Because the first words we know of Jesus, we are recorded of Jesus upon the cross that came out of his lips, are recorded in Luke twenty three thirty four. 
when it says this. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Now just think about that for a moment. After all the stuff that Jesus had been through, the first words that he utters upon the cross for you and for me, for all of mankind, for us to hear, is a prayer. In the prayer, you know, he could have prayed for his loved ones, protect them, watch over them. But no, who is he praying for here? His enemies. The people who had brutalized him, the people who had beat him, who had mocked him. That's what Jesus says, the first words out of his lips upon the cross. And this prayer of Jesus, these first words that he utters upon the cross, have a ton of significance for us. Let me share, you this mor- share with you this morning just a few things I think that are significant about these words. First of all, these words of Jesus fulfilled a prophecy. 700 years before Jesus, this happened, Isaiah said these words about the coming and future Messiah. He said, he poured out his life unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and he made intercession... For the transgressors. He made intercession means he prayed for the people who brutalized him. 700 years before Jesus even walked upon this earth, Isaiah prophesied that this would happen. This would be something that happened. It it verified in a real sense who he was. He prayed for us. Secondly, though, and probably... Even more importantly, these words of Jesus upon the cross uh, modeled the importance of prayer. I mean, if you had something to say, what would you say the last words or first of your last words? Would it be a prayer for your enemies? I'd have to say I'm not really sure. I'd like to think so. But so often in life, it's not it. But Jesus modeled what he taught. He practiced what he preached and, and he said this in Matthew 6, 9. He said, this is how you should pray. And then he began to teach us how to do that. It's interesting that Jesus opened his public ministry with prayer. It says in Scripture, the first thing he did publicly in his public ministry was pray for people. And he closes his public ministry with prayer. Prayer was a huge part of, of his life, and he models the importance of prayer in our life. Remember he told Jesus when Peter came to him, uh, and he said, uh, Peter was talking about, uh, asked a question about uh, forgiveness. And, and Jesus, uh, Peter thought he was going to be really, you know, spiritual. And, and he said, well, I, shall I forgive somebody seven times for what they've done? Because in that day, it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's the, that was the standard in that day. And so Peter thought he was going way beyond the standard. And what did Jesus teach? He said, no, not seven times, but you should should forgive someone 70 times seven. That wasn't a real number. That would just say as many times as it takes. And here was Jesus upon the cross modeling exactly what he had taught. Asking for forgiveness for those who had brutalized him. And then he also, he taught at the end of the, of the, or in the Sermon on the Mount, he had taught in Matthew 5, 44. This is what Jesus had said. He says, Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good for those who hate you, and pray for those who persecute you. 
Three plus years earlier, Jesus had prayed that or had taught those words. And then he turns around and lives them out. I mean, how can you more live out what you teach? You know, we're going to talk about this when we (laughs) do the parenting series. But I always have a struggle. Do you always do everything? Do you have good intentions that always follow through? I mean, you say things to your kids that you really want to do, but you don't always do them. Sure you do. Just let's be honest. Because we're imperfect. But Jesus never said anything he didn't do. And here we see it so vividly in these words upon the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's asking forgiveness here. And he had taught it just earlier. He never said one thing and did something else. And another part of this thing about why this, while he, this is so important about the importance of prayer is... And once again, he's, who is he praying for? He's praying for his enemies. He's praying for people. You know, I don't know about you, but when people do stuff to me, I usually write them off. Tells you something about me, right? And I mean, if you do stuff to me after a while, I get kind of, you know, I'm like, oh, that person's never going to change. It's, that's in my mind. I know that, that can, they can change, but that's, do you ever do that? But Jesus was praying for the people who, you know, probably most people would write these Roman soldiers and these religious leaders that he was praying for off pretty quickly. But Jesus modeled that you never give up in prayer. You never give up in prayer. He actually prayed for those who abused him and he crucified him. No matter how hopeless and how, how difficult it is, he says pray for somebody because they, God can work in their life and change them. He modeled that in his life. In a vivid way with his first words out of his mouth upon the cross. Not only that, but uh, the third thing, not only did it fulfill prophecy and these words model the importance of prayer. But the third thing I believe these words did, probably more than anything, is that Jesus' words revealed our greatest need. They revealed to us our greatest need. It's interesting what he didn't pray for. He didn't pray for healing. He didn't pray for a physical healing. He didn't pray for, um, you know, just the normal mundane things that we pray for on a, on a daily basis that are important to all of us. He prayed, he focused on mankind's greatest need when he prayed this prayer upon the cross. When he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In Matthew 26, verse 28, these words are in Scripture. It says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You see, this, this little phrase, for they don't know what they do, it, 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 like, it kind of says this to me, that ignorance does not, does not equal innocence. Ignorance does not equal innocence. Innocence. So often in life, you know, just because we don't know something, Father, forgive them if they don't know what they're doing. Just because you don't know what you're doing doesn't mean you're innocent of it, right? It's just like when you break the law, I didn't know about that. I'm, I'm sorry. God said our greatest need, the greatest need that we all have is forgiveness. Forgiveness from God, forgiveness of other people, because unforgiveness in a, really, in a real sense is probably our greatest enemy. Unforgiveness is what traps us and causes us to live a life that God does not want us to live. And so these words of Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them 
points to what Jesus came for. To offer us something that we could not do for ourselves. To build that bridge between us and God. To give us that forgiveness. But also to teach us to be people of forgiving, of a forgiving nature as well. You know, one of the things that I see in our world today is this. Is that so often the people are constantly in pain. And, 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 they're, and, and they're in agony because uh, they have this, this. And we talked about this over the last several weeks as well. This whole thing of, of barriers between people. Of unforgiveness between people. And that unforgiveness causes us so much pain in our lives. So unforgiveness is probably our greatest need. And that probably our, our forgiveness is probably our greatest need. And unforgiveness is probably our greatest enemy. Because if we don't, we become like the guy. I heard this story. I don't know if it's true or not. I doubt it's true. But, you know, it, it's it, the story about a guy who uh, one day uh, he got bitten by a rabid dog. And, and uh, this was one of those really macho guys. You know the type. I don't need to go to the doctor. I'll be all right. I'll just rub some dirt on it or something, you know, and I'll be good. Really macho guy. Stupid guy, too. Uh, <clears throat> got bit by a rabid dog. And he didn't have it treated for a long time. And he got worse and worse and worse. And it... And he went to, finally went to the doctor. Broke down and went to the doctor. And it, and it was... The doctor looked at him and said, sorry, it's too late. If you'd come to me earlier, it could have been completely healed. But now it's too late. It's gone through your system, it's too late. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what the story says. And then, he, and then the man said, and then and the doctor said to the man, man, I'm sorry if you'd have been here, it had been, been better. But the guy freaked out for a while, and after a while, though, he kind of calmed down. He kind of began to make some sense of things. And he sat over in the corner of the room in the doctor's office and he pulled out a piece of paper and started making a list. And on it was people's names. And as he was writing these names down on a piece of paper, the doctor said to him, what are you doing? Are these people you're going to contact, people you give your possessions to, people you ask for forgiveness? He said, no, these are people I hate. I've got rabies. And these are the people I'm going to bite. Like I said, I don't know if that's a true story or not, but it sounds good. The reality of life is unforgiveness will cause us to become those type of per- that kind of a person, right? person who is angry and bitter and her life is controlled by others. It's not about what somebody has done for you. It's how you respond. The one th- thing in life that God wants us to understand clearly is that forgiveness is not about whether the person is worthy of forgiveness because none of us are worthy of forgiveness from God. It's about a choice. A choice in how we respond and a choice in following uh, the, God, the plan God uses for us. So what does this mean for us? It means this, basically. This is the final application, then we sing our last song and go home. Um, I believe more than anything in these last words, Jesus is teaching us that we need to pray for those who hurt us. We first accept God's forgiveness, but we need to pray for those who have hurt you. 
In Matthew 5, 43 and 44, it says, You've heard it said, love your, in- love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Remember, I said this before. This is what Jesus, Jesus did, what he taught. And he wants us to follow that example in our lives because he understands that one of our greatest barriers to having a relationship with God and a relationship with other people in a good way is the, is the barrier of unforgiveness. And prayer begins to pray for others. We will begin to change things. Now, let me, let me say this, and this, let's throw up the next slide. It's this. My prayer for others may or may not change them, but it always changes me. My prayer for others may or may not change them. You hear me? But it always changes me because when I begin to pray, God begins to work in my heart to allow me to see them in the way he sees them. And in doing so, it works in my life to free me from the bondage of unforgiveness. And that's what God is saying to us here. What is Jesus is saying upon the cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We begin to see people in light of how Jesus sees people. I mean... I, these guys, these Roman centurions, these, these soldiers, these Pharisees, did any of them deserve forgiveness? No. But Jesus chose to forgive them anyway because he knows that's what their greatest need was. And he wants us to see people that way as well. You see, I can't pray God's blessings on someone else's life without God doing a significant work in my own heart. That's what prayer does more than anything else. So how do I forgive when I don't feel like it? It's just like this. It says in Colossians 3.13, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You see, why is forgiving others so important? Why is forgiving so others so important? I mean, the, one of the most convicting verses in Scripture, I've used this several times recently as well, is Matthew six fourteen and 15. It says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The thing that places a barrier between us and God and us and other people is unforgiveness. And it blocks us having that relationship. I mean, you can accept Jesus Christ and he can be in your heart. And you can be saved, but the problem sometimes is if you allow and begin to harbor unforgiveness in your life, it'll block that relationship with God. It'll, it'll, it'll stop the, the relationship and the blessings of God in your life of knowing who God is. It'll put a barrier between you and Him. But it'll also place a barrier between you and other people. And so God on the cross, Jesus, when He said these words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, was saying to you and saying to me, This is your greatest need. That's why I'm praying this prayer. Now, Matthew's gospel tells us that both of the thieves um, on the cross on each, either side of Jesus uh, joined in the crowd in mockery and mocking Jesus. Yet Luke tells us that one of them joined in but was rebuked by the other. Is that a contradiction between Scripture? No. I believe it was a, it was a conversion. Because the Bible says right after this in Luke, right after this, this passage, uh, something significant happened to change the heart of this one thief. And when he heard those words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He saw the actions of Jesus, of one who lived out the life 
and who trusted in God's plan for his life no matter how brutal things had happened to him. He was amazed. And he, this one thief, as he watched with amazement as Jesus suffered the same crucifixion that he had suffered, yet without complaint, without anger, without cursing, and he heard those words, Father, forgive them, it changed him. We're going to look at the next words next week. Today you will be with me in paradise. How Jesus responded to that thief on the cross. But the fact is this. These words, as short as they are, as brief as they are, mean everything. And when we get to Easter and we talk about the words, it is finished, that doesn't mean it's done, it's over with, it's never going to happen. It means it's completed. What God did for us, what Jesus did for us upon the cross, gives you and me the opportunity of having a relationship with a God who loves us so much that he was willing to do what it took to allow his son to suffer the way he did. Because he knew more than anything, what we needed was not security, peace. We needed forgiveness. And that forgiveness is what he offered us out of the lips of Jesus upon the cross. How will you respond? That's the question to his offer. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.